if you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. And then if you want to put your finger there and go to Luke chapter 11. We're going to look at these two scriptures. Um, I'm not going to give you the title of it. You'll be able to figure it out. At least I hope you will be able to. It's two words. If you're really creative, it could be three words. But no more than three. And in Matthew chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 19. Matthew six nineteen. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye of the lamp, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will devote to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And you'll see the scripture that we're going to focus on, but if you'll turn with me to Luke chapter 11, you'll see it in this. Luke chapter 11, verse 33. He says, no one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. <coughs> Excuse me. Therefore, everybody say therefore. Be careful lest the light in you be darkness. For then your whole body is full of light. Or if then your whole body is full of light. Have, having no part dark. It will be wholly bright. As when a lamp with its rays gives you light. And we'll stop there. The part that we're going to look at is. is your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. And I don't know what it was like growing up in Jesus' time. Uh, I don't know if they had as many distractions as we seem to have nowadays. Um, you know, it seems like they had a more simple life, but I'm sure that they had distractions because Jesus is speaking about that here. And um, if Maybe they didn't have as many than he's speaking it for us. And. Uh, but regardless of how many they had versus how many we have, what Jesus did tell them to do was to be on guard, to be watchful, to be careful as to what we look at, because there is an enemy and his job is to distract us from the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and to turn us away from the direction of the light that is in us if we've given our life to Jesus Christ and to 
if, if we're born again, to void the truth that is in us so that now we become darkness or sinful. Um, and again, I don't know if they had all the distractions we have, but I know for us, with social media, we are inundated with all kinds of distractions of all kinds of knowledge. Knowledge is everywhere nowadays. Knowledge that oftentimes when we look at it from the internet, we assume is true. Knowledge that we want to hear, you know, we go looking for that knowledge that we want to hear. The knowledge that is going to make us feel good. We want to see all of that. And though social media has its good parts, most of social media engages our selfishness. And therefore, it is contrary to the truth of God's Word, contrary to the Bible. One of the reasons I don't like social media is because when I tell Diana that I can't do something, maybe because I can't do something or because I don't want to do something, and she says to me, well, Google it. I hate that. I hate that phrase. Google it. And I want to look at her and I, and I want to tell I do not want to Google it. But, you know, there is an element of Googling that is good. You know, you can find out a lot of information. But I'm, I don't, you know, not trying to pick on that, but there's the social aspect of what's going on and it's horrible. And we center our life around it. You know, so one of the problems with social media is we are measured by our likes. And so if that's how we're going to measure our life is by the likes that we have, what are we creating? What we're creating is a system where we look for the approval from other people to help us make our decisions. We're so focused on them and we, and we want them to have the best picture of us and then to uh, agree with us on the decisions that we're making. And I just want to stop and ask those people, what about God in your life? What does it matter if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? There's more to life than likes. Especially when it's coming from this world. It's subtle, but it's there. And now we have people living off the approval of other people. And think about this for a moment. People you probably have never even met. That's the scary thing. Who cares if you have 10,000 followers? If you're not walking with Jesus, who cares? Do you think Jesus is going to change his mind because of the number of likes that you have? He's not. And so when we do this, we're no longer basing our decisions on the truth of God's word. What God has determined, what is right and wrong. And 
the reality is we are fulfilling what Isaiah said when he said back in his days that good is going to be evil and evil is going to be good. And we're seeing that come to pass nowadays. It's crazy. They both say this, but we're just going to look at Matthew chapter 6 again, verses 22. And I'm going to read 22 and 23, but we're only going to look at 22, but I want to keep it in context. Matthew 6, 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And I just want to look at the first sentence where he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. And, and I'm, we're going to do this quickly, but then I have, it's still Christmas season, so I, I'm going to throw in a little bit of Christmas at the end, all right? So, the eye is the lamp of the body. So what he's saying is, as our eyes go, so our body goes. What you look at, what you decide you're going to consume on, what you're going to look for is exactly what you're going to find. Okay, So what we're seeing, what we're looking at, what we're putting our attention on, what we're putting our affection on, that's going to determine how the rest of your body is going to go. And then he says this, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. And some of the different translations for the word healthy is this. Some say, if your eye is single, Another says, if your eye is clean. Another says, if your eye is good. And it basically means all of those. It means simple, sound, healthy, perfect, singleness. And when I'm looking at this and, and we're, we're seeing this, Think about this and with all the distractions that we have. How easy is it for us to get our eyes off of God? Off of what He's called us to? Off the purposes that He's called us and, and created us for? How easy is it for us to do that? It's very easy. But it takes effort to keep your eye as the lamp of the body. And you want it to be good. You want it to be whole. You want it to be healthy. That takes effort. If our eye is single, set on one thing, Jesus, then our entire body will be full of life. And to become diversified outside of what God has called us to, His plans and His purposes for us causes us to be unhealthy. It causes us to be unhealthy emotionally, mentally. It, it causes us to begin to walk in fear and in anxiety. Because we're looking at different things and we're not focused on Him. We don't have our minds set on Him and the truth of His Word. The truth of His promises. And, and so it's, it's easy for us to look at this diversity and then get all distracted from it. It, it wreaks havoc on us in the natural realm because we start seeing things after our circumstances and not after the truth of God's Word. We, we can feel it physically and spiritually. 
I mean, we're in a battle, and, and I can't tell you how many times we, we hear from Christians who are telling us they're, they're tired, they're, they're, they're in this battle. We all are. And it's intensified, but it's okay because God promises to be with us. He's not going to be with us in the easy battles only. He's with us when it's hard. And we probably experience Him more when it's hard. All of the things from this world, they war for the affection of our soul that is supposed to be anchored in the Lord Himself. All of these war against our focus and our devotion to the one thing. And again, they are subtle, but the end result is we diversify ourselves so much to these other things that we lose focus, attention, devotion to one thing. Confusion. And this is tried and true. You know, these words that Jesus is saying, I mean, they're they're powerful. And I just want you to think, and I'm probably sure you're already there. What is this world crying out for all of us? Diversity. Be diverse. We are already diverse. Every one of us in here. God has made us in His likeness and in His image. But we are a people who are diverse. And I don't mean like in this as you in particular, me in particular. We have a lifestyle that is born to be diverse. We don't need to make it any more diverse. Let me explain this, and, and I'm going to use this, use myself as an example. But this is what I share at funerals. Because this is the reality of life. When I start sharing about somebody's life, this is how I open. God has not caused us. He has not created us. He has not made us to be an island unto ourselves. He has not created us to be an island unto ourselves and to live alone. And in fact, everything at creation was good except for man who was alone. Okay? That was, it was good that he made man, but then when he saw everybody had the ability to have a relationship but man, and so God created woman for man. That we would be able to have relationship with one another, interact with one another, to relate to one another. And so let me just show you how diverse my life is. And I'm not even getting into all of it. Okay? This is just tip of the iceberg. I'm a son. I'm a brother. I'm a nephew to somebody. I'm a cousin to somebody. You talk about diverse? You should see it be in our family. There's a lot of us. And I'm not talking about my immediate family. And then you have two sides of my family. I was a grandson 
I'm a friend, a classmate, a team member, a worker. I'm an uncle. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a son-in-law. I'm a brother-in-law. I'm a pastor. And then whatever else you want to call me. Is that not diverse? And that's just because God created me. And so I want us to understand that there's nothing wrong with being diverse, but then we have to be single-minded. We have to be focused on the one thing. And even though I am all of those things and more, God is the one who called me to these things. But He also has set parameters for me. And that parameter comes from me setting my heart on this one thing. And this one thing is going to cause me to live according to His Word, according to His principles, to govern my life, no matter how I'm walking it out, no matter how I'm fulfilling it. Whether I go see my cousins, my siblings, or, or not. God has given me parameters through this one thing as to how I am supposed to live my life and walk out my calling. And so I just want you to understand that God is not afraid of diversity. He's not afraid of our diversity in this. But He doesn't want our diversity to become a, a preoccupation to where we forget about Him. That it draws our attention away from Him. And it draws our attention and our affection away from His Word and His principles. Turn with me to Psalm 27, please. Psalm 27. I have said this before, but I want to hopefully get you to see this in context. I am the best Richard for you, no matter what diverse role he's got me in. I am the best Richard for you when I am walking single-minded with him. When I am in alignment and agreement with his purposes and his plans for my life, I can be a father that He's called me to be. I can be the husband He's called me to be. I can be the pastor that He's called me to be. I can be the friend that He's called me to be. And the best of all of that is when I am in alignment, in agreement with God's plans and purposes, His principles, His Word for my life. When I step outside of those, that's when you have problems with me. I know you already have problems, but then you'll have problems with me. So, because the best that I can be is when I am conscious of this one thing. Because we get ourselves in trouble and in much confusion when we step outside of God's design and purpose for our lives found in His Word. So in Psalm 27 verse... Well, before I give you the verse. But this is David's psalm. This is David writing. He's a man after God's own heart. 
This is what he says in verse 4. Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing. Everybody say one thing. Say it again. One thing. One thing have I asked of the Lord. That, I, that will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. It sounds so simple, but it's so hard to do. David said, this, this one thing, God, this is what I want. This is, this is how I want to set my heart. This one thing. This is what I'm asking of you, Father. And if David asks, we can ask. Amen. The word ask there means to inquire, to request, to demand, to earnestly desire. You know, David wasn't going through McDonald's and asking. He was, he was serious about this. He was being steadfast about this. This is the one thing David was asking of the Lord. He was requesting of the Lord that will I seek after. This is what he's after. That I may dwell in your house or in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. I'm going to skip a word real quick and I want to go to the word gaze. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. The word gaze there means to gaze at. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? These theological people are great. But it means more than that. It means to mentally see. To perceive or to contemplate with pleasure. Whew. Specifically to have a vision of, to behold, gaze, look. And then this one really blessed me, prophesy. Woo. Because look, we're not there yet. But we're on our way. And you can speak a whole lot of good things into your life. You can believe God for a lot of good things for your life. So the next word that I want to look at, and this just really blessed me, and, and I think we experienced it here this morning. The word house. Oh, my goodness. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. That word house means house. But it's a house where a family lives. It's a house where there's presence. And I don't mean Christmas presence. I mean presence of people. And David's cry is, God, I want to dwell 
in your house. Your house. Where you live. Where your presence is. I don't know about you. But there's plenty of times that I fall short of that. He says that I want to be there all the days of my life and then gaze on your beauty. I mean, I, I really have to be honest with you. It was hard to end the worship time this morning. Because God was in this place. His presence was here. And that's what we want more than anything else. David was much better off and so will we be when our hearts and minds are set on this one thing. Jesus. This needs to be our one thing. This needs to be what our heart beats for. For the presence of the Lord. And all that He is. And when we find Him, we find all that we need in this life. You know, it's so sad when we see so many different people trying to find what God offers them. They try and find it in all kind of different things. All kind of different places. And it's right here. Because when you get God, when you, when you are set on Him and you get that one thing, then you get all of Him. The song of the redeemed, which we are, should be this one thing I have desired. Because it's cr critical for us to fuel the fire, that one thing, so much so that nothing else matters in our life. So that everything else that I attend to gets filtered through this one thing. No matter what God has called me to, this one thing is my filter. I don't have a confusing life of serving God and serving as husband, father, pastor, or anything else that God has called me to. When I have this one thing, Him, and that affection and adoration and that absolute passion for Him. And when I do that, that's when I become fully equipped for God. It is the one thing. You'll turn with me to Luke chapter 2, please. Luke chapter 2. I want to give you some examples of one thing. Two people that had one thing on their mind. And how it changed their life. Before we read it, I want us to think about this for a moment. How will we know when we are governed by the one thing as our desire? We have to ask ourselves that. Or at least I hope we do. And I'll give you the answer. Do you want it now or do you want to wait? Now? Okay. 
I like your heart. Because I want to give it to you now too. This is how you know you're governed by the one thing. Your life isn't about you anymore. Now you're like, we should have waited. And it, it, it's more than that though. It's not only not about you anymore. But you are looking for ways to surrender even more. It's about God, our Father, Jesus, our Savior, the Holy Spirit, our Helper, and God. What can I do for you? You've done so much for me. What can I do for you? In Luke chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 22. And Jesus is eight days old. He is brought to the temple. Luke 2.22 and when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens a womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout. Can we just say something real quick? He was good. He was healthy. He was simple. Okay? The description of him, he was righteous and devout. Waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Amen. Hallelujah is right. Verse 26. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. And not just this day either. This is beforehand. By the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Verse 27. And he came in the Spirit. Into the temple. In other words, he was led by the Holy Spirit. That day, he, at that time, he was led by the Holy Spirit to go to the temple. What do you think he was going to see? Whoo! He had one thing on his mind. Verse 27, And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, this is Simeon speaking, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes, if I say my eyes, if your eye is healthy, your whole body is good. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of, to your people Israel. 
And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child, everybody say this child, is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. In other words, here's the sign that's going to oppose, but it's also going to be yours as well. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. So that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. You see, one thing caused him to see something that nobody else saw. One thing. One thing he was living his life for. The Lord had promised that he would see the Christ before he passed away. And we don't know how old he is, but I'm telling you, he's old. And he's going to the temple and he participated in temple things. But this day, the Holy Spirit leads him, speaks to him, tells him it's time. Go to the temple. And then he, everybody else sees this beautiful baby Jesus. But Simeon saw the Messiah. He saw the crucifixion. Because he had one thing. One thing. Simeon saw a Savior when everybody else saw just a baby. Simeon saw the Messiah, the Redeemer, not only for Israel, but for all the world. Simeon saw the one thing no one else saw because he lived his life by the one thing. This is what it looks like for us to live with one thing. To be consumed by this one thing. Simeon, he was all kind of things too. He had all kind of roles to fulfill. But this is what he was able to do. He stayed focused. Verse 36, it gets better. Verse 36 said, And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. Okay, so let's just think about this. She probably got married between 12 and 14 years. She lived seven years with her husband. At the most, she's probably somewhere around 21 years old. She becomes a widow. And we find her here. Listen. Let me read part of that verse again, 36. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow until she was 84. 84. From the time she was 21 to 84 years old, this is what she did. This was her one thing. She did not depart from the temple. Worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And God has to suffer because we have to give Him two hours 
of our time on Sunday morning. We come here and we think, God, you ought to be so blessed that I'm in your house this morning. And as soon as 1230 rolls around, boom, you're gone. But this one thing David said, do I ask of the Lord? Verse 38. In coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him, Jesus, baby Jesus, to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Think about this for a moment. Anna's maybe 21 years old, loses her husband, is a widow the rest of her life. She could have been bitter. She could have become angry with God. She could have cried out, God, I thought you loved me. Why did you take him? We had such a great life together. But she didn't do that. She devoted herself to being at the temple. And she just wasn't just at the temple taking up space, breathing. She was at the temple worshiping. And she wasn't just like worshiping with good Christian music, contemporary music nowadays. She wasn't doing that. She was worshiping God through prayer and fasting, and it wasn't just an hour or two hours. It was night and day. She didn't become bitter over losing her husband after those seven years. But instead, she chose that one thing. And this one thing governed her life, and because it governed her life, she was able to see beyond the baby Jesus. And see what God had for all of Israel. For all of mankind. And I just want to encourage you this morning. That this one thing. If you will set your heart and mind. It will be so powerful in your life. It will change your life. For the good. Stand with me. Man, I feel bad because I feel like I'm just getting warmed up. These two people have one thing on their mind. Maybe they knew Psalm 27 verse 4 with David. Maybe they got it into their heart and into their mind. One thing that I ask of the Lord. They dwelt in the temple of the Lord. They were able to see the beauty when nobody else could see it. In baby Jesus, they saw it. May it be our heart's cry and our heart's desire as well. Father, we do thank you for this day and the love that you have for, for us. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for the hope that your word gives us. And Father, I pray that in this new year that we would be a people who have one thing on our heart and on our minds. 
How can we be pleasing to you? That we would dwell, be a people who dwell in your house, in your presence, all the days of our lives. We ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.